heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. Today, we just had stunning news that the Biden administration is now planning to engage the Department of Homeland Security to move out across America and round up Americans in rural areas of the country who are unvaccinated. Suddenly, a medical decision that should be between you and your physician is becoming a totalitarian takeover of this country with force. This is America Out Loud. This is Voice of a Nation. And to all my listeners out there, if you haven't already been getting loud and getting involved, you better wake up because your life is going to be at stake in ways you never dreamed. And with me on this hour today is a physician from Canada who has been living the Canadian version of the Soviet Stalinistic Gulag. And he is coming to us today with a warning from what he has been through personally, as well as what is happening in his country, where we Americans have always thought Canada was the land of the free, just as America has been the land of the free. And that is no longer true. Canada is being taken over by totalitarianism and micromanaging of Canadians' lives in ways that are staggering to contemplate and are rapidly taking over in America as well. So I want to welcome to the show today, this is Dr. Lee for America, your guest host for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation with a warning from our North American countrymen in arms, the Canadians who are trying to speak out and help save their country and are warning us about what's coming. This is Dr. Francis Christian, a general and trauma surgeon who holds a fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, Scotland, and a fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons of Canada. He started the Department of Surgery, Saskatoon, in Saskatchewan's Quality Improvement and Patient Safety Department, and he also has been running the Quality Control Program for the Department of Surgery, the Surgical Quality and Safety Committee, and was its co-chair. He co-founded the Department of Surgery's Surgical Humanities Program, which I think is a very interesting 
program that I'd like us to hear more about. But Dr. Christian has been through the persecution for simply trying to speak out and warn about the dangers of the experimental gene therapy vaccines in children. A very appropriate medical warning, one that we physicians in America have been trying to bring out to the public. And Dr. Christian was fired from his very prestigious role and long illustrious career and and his reputation of integrity and quality in surgery and trauma care. He was fired for simply trying to give a medical warning that was based in the data. And I wanted to have Dr. Christian join us today and talk to us about what he's been through. But I also wanted him to share with you the fact that he has been a student of the Stalinist movement and takeover in the Soviet Union and the extension to the other countries of Soviet domination throughout Eastern Europe and other countries that the Soviet Union controlled under communism. He has a lot of insights to share with us. Welcome, Dr. Christian. Thank you for joining us today on Voice of America. Dr. Lee, uh, thank you very much for having me. Well, I, I just really feel for what you have been through. It's, it's stunning to think that someone of your reputation, your years of service and quality and integrity could have been treated this way simply for trying to give a very reasonable warning. So tell us what happened and what you've been through and what the this persecution committee is what I'd like to call it. Um, tell us what they said to you. Um, Dr. Lee, uh, what you said about my uh, credentials are absolutely right. Uh, I am a, I'm a general and trauma surgeon. I had started both the Department of Quality Improvement and Patient Safety and the Surgical Humanities Program for the Department of Surgery a few years ago. And amongst multiple other activities, I had also started the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program for the department. I had founded the Surgical Quality and Safety Committee, which I co-chaired. And together with our university computer department, I developed an app. Uh, it's now available on at the Apple Store and on Google Play. It's called the M&M app, which is now being used across this province, this Canadian province of Saskatchewan. I co-founded the Surgical Humanities program, and, and I'm also the editor of the Journal of the Surgical Humanities, which I founded. In fact, uh, Dr. Lee, the fall 2020 issue of the journal had much in it about the COVID-19 pandemic, including my editorial. Now, on June the 23rd, about three weeks ago, I was called into what was termed a WebEx meeting with the Dean, the Chief Medical Officer, and the Interim Head of the Department, 
I was stripped of my university faculty position and fired from my roles as director of QI and patient safety and director of the surgical humanities program. My offense uh, or crime uh, was supposedly asking for informed consent, informed consent from parents and children in the rollout of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to our children in Saskatchewan. Now, if you uh, go to the JCCF website, the JCCF uh, is the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. It's a group of very dedicated lawyers who are invested in the same things that I'm invested in, uh, preserving freedom of speech, preserving uh, scientific debate, preserving our constitutional rights and freedoms. And if you go to their website, jccf.ca, uh, you will find uh, a good account of exactly what happened. Um, you will also find a recording of that meeting. And essentially, uh, what I was fired on was because of a, of a press release statement. I actually had a live press conference uh, on the 17th of June, uh, Thursday. And in it, I pointed out that I wasn't, I wasn't, I was not speaking for the health authority. I was not speaking for the University of Saskatchewan. I was directly addressing parents and children. And in it, I, I started off by saying that I'm a father myself. And recently and joyfully, I'm a grandfather. So uh, this concerns me. I pointed out that I'm in fact a pro-vaccine uh, physician, uh, that I was only too aware of the great scourges of mankind, including smallpox, uh, that have been eliminated or made innocuous by vaccination. Uh, I, I pointed out that I'm also pro-vaccine for my own family, including myself. But in the case of this mRNA vaccine, I thought that before the vaccine is rolled out to children, both children and parents must know the risks of the mRNA vaccines to children, any benefit to children, and any alternatives to vaccines. So the principle of informed consent is very simple, Dr. Lee, and you and I know that. Uh, and yet the principle has truth, science, humanity at its heart, very simply, the person by whom the drug, vaccine, treatment, or intervention is administered must always make the patient fully aware of the risks of the medical intervention, the benefits of the intervention, and if any alternatives exist to the intervention. And this should apply particularly to a new vaccine that had never before been tried in humans. I pointed out in that press conference that the principle of informed consent was being consistently violated, is still being consistently violated in this province for the mRNA vaccine for our kids. I had not met a single vaccinated child or parent who had been adequately informed and who then understand the risks of this vaccine or its benefits. I pointed out that the vaccine was a new experimental vaccine design and had never been used in humans before. I pointed out that the mRNA vaccines have not, have not been fully authorized. Here in Health Canada, they are in 
what is called interim authorization mode. I believe in the US, the CDC has them under what is called emergency authorization. I pointed out that full vaccine approval takes several years and multiple safety considerations, and this had not, had not happened with the mRNA vaccines. I then pointed out that in order to qualify for emergency use authorization, there must be an emergency. For the elderly population, for the vulnerable, for healthcare workers, arguably, there is, of course, an emergency. And several thousand people in Canada had died of COVID-19. But the mean age of those who have died in Canada is 83.8. There is therefore a strong case for vaccinating the elderly, the vulnerable, the healthcare workers. But COVID-19 does not pose a threat to our kids. The risk of them dying of COVID is less than 0.003%. And that this was even less than the risk of them dying of the flu. I pointed out there is therefore no emergency in children. I pointed out that children do not readily transmit the COVID virus to adults. And shouldn't adults be immune or vaccinated anyway? And that the RNA, uh, mRNA vaccines had already been associated with several thousand deaths. Dr. Lee, at the time I gave the press conference, there were 5,888 deaths in the VAR system, the Vaccine Adverse Reporting System, the United States. I believe that's now more than 9,000. Uh, these were associations I pointed out, not verified yet as causations, but in any other drug or vaccine, they would have been sufficient to stop the whole program. A pause, a, a, a regrouping, if you will, and, and certainly a big signal to not give it to our kids. I pointed out that the mRNA was already causing serious medical problems, including myocarditis uh, in kids, uh, that the benefit of the vaccine was marginal at breast, best, and, and finally, that the drug ivermectin is the alternative, both for kids and for adults. And there are other early treatment alternatives, and that this common, cheap, and very safe drug was being blocked in many Western countries. I, I can't get uh, ivermectin in all of Saskatchewan. And that is what I thought was the minimum required for informed consent for our children and parents uh, before they consent to the mRNA vaccine rollout to our kids. Well, I think those were absolutely correct points. I think they are reasonable. I think for all of us physicians, had we not done that with other medicines, new medicines, in exactly the way you laid it out, we would be risking malpractice or ethical violations. Failure to get informed consent is a serious issue. It always has been. And what you've just laid out is extremely important and, and correct on every single point. What I would like to add to what you just said, which has just come out yesterday through some of my contacts here in the United States, is that, yes, you're correct, the VAR system is now over 9,000 deaths causally associated with the vaccine. I say causally because the, we, we can't prove the connection, but when a death in an otherwise healthy person occurs within one to three days of getting this experimental vaccine, this is not 
any longer a coincidence. It is there is something going on and we have the mechanisms to explain how that can be happening. And in the cases where there have been the very few cases where there's been an autopsy, we have even more specific information. So the, the linkage, more than 50% of the vaccine-associated deaths are actually in that first window of 24 to 72 hours. Now, what has just come out yesterday for Americans to understand is that according to whistleblowers within our own system, the deaths are actually more than 50,000. And number one, they are behind in reporting the adverse events they have. So they're three months behind in reporting, and which, which means that the 9,000 is clearly underreported because they're not caught up. But the other side of the problem is that VAERS has always, uh, as going back, 10, 15 years in data analysis of vaccine adverse event reporting, theirs has always been a problem and has, has the, the best studies from Harvard have shown that theirs only has about 1% to maximum 10% of the adverse events for any vaccine. So, it makes sense that the reality from past data, it makes sense that what this new information that came out yesterday is very likely correct, that the actual numbers of deaths reported are higher and those that are linked in time and unexplained by other means are as high as what we just learned yesterday from some insiders, over 50,000. And in the swine flu epidemic in the 70s, with the experimental vaccine program at the time, there were 25 deaths and they stopped the program. So you can see that there is a massive cover-up of risk and there is a failure to protect the public on all fronts that the orders, the, the damage is, is orders of magnitude higher than what we've ever seen before. And the suppression of informed consent has never happened before. So I wanted to add that for our listeners. There, there really is a lot more happening than the public is being told. And that is very disturbing, uh, Dr. Lee. It is something that we had suspected all along. Um, the fact is the, the, the mass media uh, have been co-opted in Canada, and I believe there is a similar situation in the United States too. We in Canada can actually consume a lot of American media, uh, but, the, but the main arms of the media, which has very concentrated ownership, both in Canada and in the United States, uh, have been co-opted as arms of government. And this is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union as well. Uh, essentially, um, government, big pharma, um, and, 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 and unfortunately, the, the media, which has lost its 
critical role in society. There is no free press anymore. Uh, that all these uh, are, and, and that includes internet platforms, by the way, all these are acting as arms of government. And these arms of government, um, Big Pharma, the internet platforms, the compliant press, um, they're influencing each other. And they're influencing each other in a way that is very, very similar to, a, to the well-oiled Soviet propaganda machine that powered the information uh, capture in the Soviet Union. And uh, I, I believe that you, you want me to talk a little bit about the parallels to what is happening now with well, what I is did, happening in the Soviet Union. I do Union. think it would be helpful for our listener to know that. And what's interesting about the two of us doing this interview, you've been a student of that for that, that whole Stalinist takeover and the control of the population and other countries that they took over. My husband and I were actually in the Soviet Union during the time under Lenin. And we were actually on the ground and experienced the oppression firsthand. He was actually taken out of our line of a group of us on an educational program waiting to go into the Lenin Museum. He was pulled out of line with no warning, no reason. We were just standing there with two Russian soldiers with what I call machine guns. I don't, didn't know the technical term for the rifle, but yeah. I tell you, that was, I was terrified. I had no idea what my husband had done. I had no idea where they took him. I had no idea when I would see him again. So I felt it, I lived it. And I know how terrifying it is and that was just a short time on the ground there compared to living it. So I, I think it'd be helpful for you to tell our listeners, we have about five minutes before the break. I'd like you to tell our listeners what happened to you in the hearing before these um, persecutors who stripped you of your academic credentials and your roles and what they said to you. And then I'd like to pick up the discussion of the parallels with the Stalinist movement and what's happening today. I'd like to pick that up after the break. So this, this uh, group of, uh, of physicians who, what, what I call the tribunal, because it has very good parallels with what was happening in the Soviet Union. This tribunal who spoke to me, who fired me from my university position who fired me from my quality improvement in surgical humanities roles, uh, they believed that it would all end there. And, uh, you know, the compliant mainstream local media and national media uh, that covered my story with largely negative attempted hit pieces against me, this would be the end. That's what they thought. But they were wrong. Uh, with friends and supporters and well-wishers and now Dr. Lee Yu from around the world. Uh, my story has been carried all over the world in major media, in alternate media, in Twitter feeds, in Telegram feeds, in Facebook. And, and the fact is the University of Saskatchewan, its dean, the oh. health authority, uh, its CMO and the Department of Surgery are getting very negative comments and attention of the world. 
which has been turned in a very negative fashion upon Saskatoon and Saskatchewan in Canada. Now, uh, I have to say that the tribunal, the recording which has now gone around the world uh, from this tribunal speaking down to me, and uh, you will see that they didn't give me an opportunity to talk. Uh, this was, in fact, a very, very, not only similar, but disturbingly similar to what happened in the Soviet Union, whose history I've studied well, and Nazi Germany, whose history I know a little less well. Uh, and in fact, uh, some of the comments in the, um, you know, the various Twitter feeds and other social media platforms, they, they talked of things like bone chilling, or you know, some people said when they heard the recording, they were actually sick to their stomach. Now, when I heard them speaking in this fashion, I have to say, it was not bone chilling to me. I was very disturbed by it, but I, I had seen this script before. Uh, and they were the, what they were saying was almost word for word, the transcripts uh, of what happened in the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. Things like, you know, Dr. Christian, you're an intelligent man, but you're using your intelligence in the wrong way. You're associating with the wrong people, you know, things like that. Well, didn't they also, and I, I, I'm sorry, we're not able to play this recording on the show today. We will encourage our listeners to go and listen to it. But didn't they also say, are you well? Aren't you, you know, you're under a lot of stress, something to that effect? Yes, and that, that was uh, right out of uh, the Soviet uh, playbook as well. Uh, there was now, making... That implying and telling you basically that you are a psychiatric patient and <laughs> yes. you are disturbed is, is what they were really saying. Let's pick that up after the break and talk more about that and the parallels. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host in for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation on America Out Loud. Check out all the wonderful programs on our platform that will help you save your life and your freedom. We'll be right back after the break. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, 
improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. This is Dr. Lee for America, back with the second hour of Voice of a Nation with our guest, Dr. Francis Christian, Canadian surgeon, trauma surgeon, and academic physician, who has been through the persecution of medicine in Canada for simply trying to present informed consent points to parents about vaccinating their children. Thank you, Dr. Christian. And I want to go on with what you were saying before the break about the situation with what the tribunal as I keep calling them, the persecutors, were saying to you about trying to, trying to suggest that you were psychiatrically disturbed, which was what <laughs> in the Soviet Union. Yes, that's, that's very uh, similar, isn't it, to what was happening in the Soviet Union. Um, but, you know, this is uh, a, a, a very well-known playbook uh, of totalitarian regimes, and uh, it it was per- perfected in the Soviet Union, um, in Nazi Germany, uh, but it has been used by totalitarian regimes. And I have to warn Canadians and I guess Americans too that there is an approaching totalitarian darkness, and if we don't act quickly, uh, that darkness will soon be upon us. And so there is a window of opportunity. Uh, I, I have to say that all this uh, is, is only in the last few months that I have been made disturbingly aware of all this massive control of the media and censorship that's going on. Uh, the, the, there are still massive attempts in Canada, I believe in the United States as well, Uh, by social media platforms, other media, health authorities, to diminish, um, degrade, smear, deplatform scientists and physicians who don't follow the official narrative about the COVID pandemic. Now, these these narratives include, uh, I guess they're not limited to lockdowns, now vaccinations and early treatment protocols. I have to say that like many of my colleagues, Uh, I was not always like this during this pandemic. Last March, 2020 March, for example, uh, I 
supported the government's view of lockdowns. I didn't support the way that they were enforcing them. But I thought, hey, we're dealing with something new here. Let's give them a little bit of rope and see what happens. And then, and then they started censoring world-class scientists, guys who we had already heard about, whose books we were reading, you know, the, 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 the target of this unprecedented censorship, smearing, deplatforming, included such eminent names as Harvard scientist Martin Kuldorf, Oxford scientist Sunitra Gupta, Stanford physician Jay Bhattacharya, and the list goes on and on. Here in Canada, there's a, a, a doctor who is a basic scientist who's a star in his field. He's a vaccinologist. He, his whole his whole career has been in designing vaccines. His name is Byram Bridal. And Dr. Bridal, uh, just because he was on a radio show explaining to the public something in a, oh. a, a scientific article, uh, he was viciously attacked. He was, um, there was a fake website created to smear him. Uh, all well-known Soviet era tactics. And then, you know, you had this bizarre situation where uh, early effective treatment advocates, uh, for example, with a cheap and safe drug, Ivermectin, were also targeted for smear and deplatforming. And this included the FLCCC physicians, Pierre Corey, Paul Marek, who is the second most published physician in the world in intensive care. Umberto Meduri, the father of non-invasive ventilation, which has played an essential role in the COVID-19 pandemic. These physicians were also being suppressed and censored back in May last year. And that's what got me thinking and asking questions. Why are they being suppressed and censored? And meanwhile, the, you know, the same physicians and scientists with disproved questionable theories uh, Neil Ferguson in Britain, Anthony Fauci of the United States were repeatedly paraded before the media with no opposing voices of dissent or, or expert opinions. And, and, and unfortunately, Dr. Lee, the, the media in Canada has ceased to play the critical role it is required to play. I mean, uh, one example would be in, in, in Canada, the media has repeatedly put forward this false claim that the vaccines are, quote, safe and effective. In fact, the dean of our medical college here uh, even said uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of hit piece interview about me uh, that the, he found my comments completely irresponsible and that the vaccines were, quote, unquote, safe and extremely effective. Now, this is not only false and simply parrots the official narrative, it is, it is also dangerous, and we've gone over that already. Uh, there, there are parallels, disturbing parallels with what happened in the Soviet Union. And um, uh, Dr. Lee, uh, because you've been to the Soviet Union, because you've studied the Soviet Union, you will know that the, the, the suppression of the press actually started in the very early days of the revolution. Back in November 9th, 1917, uh, there was a Council of the People's Commissars decree on the press. Now, uh, in that decree, it said that publications can be proscribed temporarily or permanently 
only by decision of the Council of the People's Commissars. Now, that means that only this Council of People's Commissars will be the arbiters of truth. Now, in the modern era, it is, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, the, 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 the arms of government, you know, in Canada, CBC, the CTV, um, global news in Canada has been better. Uh, but these are the arms of government now. And, uh, and, and essentially, these are the guys with in, uh, in collusion with government and Big Pharma who will decide what truth is. The next point in this Council of People's Commissars, November 9th, 1917, in the Soviet Union, this was Lenin himself uh, presenting this. It says the present ordinance is of a temporary nature and will be repealed by a special decree as soon as normal conditions of social life set in. Now, this is happening in Canada, too, because uh, month on month, uh, every province um, and sometimes it's once a month, in, like in Saskatchewan or, or more often. But across Canada, the state of emergency decrees are being renewed. And, and they're telling us, oh, this will last only a few months until we have a good handle on this virus. But as we know, Dr. Lee, the Soviet tyranny lasted 70 years. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's very... Um... It's, it's a chilling, eerie connection with, oh, it's only going to be 15 days to slow the spread. And 15 days has become 15 months with no end in sight. Absolutely. Uh, your listeners uh, may or may not know about a Soviet scientist, my uh, kind of a pseudo-scientist, I guess, uh, but he, he is, uh, uh, he, he's, a, he's a very uh, interesting figure, uh, disturbing parallels to this, uh, to the present time. I'm going to less, uh, allow your listeners to draw any similarity with a prominent figure who's paraded before the TV uh, often. His name is Trofim Lysenko. And in, his, in fact, his brand of suppression of science has come to be known as Lysenkoism. Uh, I think there is even a Wikipedia entry. Now, Wikipedia also has become extremely woke, as you know, and is suppressing science. But there might actually be an entry until, unless they take it down after what I say now. It's called Lysenkoism, L-Y-S-E-N-K-O-I-S-M, after Trofim Lysenko. Now, uh, Lysenko was uh, a guy who had some training in, uh, in genetics, but because the Soviet Union did not uh, like religion and were affirmed atheists, uh, he thought uh, one of the things he, he believed and Stalin believed and the, the, the revolutionaries believed was that because uh, a, a Gregorian monk uh, a monk in Austria, I believe his name was Mendel, uh, Mendelian genetics. It was started, uh, the whole study of genetics was started by Mendel, the monk. Because of that, uh, the, the, the whole uh, thing was suspect. The whole uh, science of genetics was suspect. And not only did he persecute famous Russian geneticists, including his own, uh, you know, his own, mentor, a fellow called Vavilov, 
1935, during the height of the what was called the Yezhov terror, Lysenko gave an address to the Politburo in which he accused Mendelist Morganist geneticists who opposed his theories as setting themselves against Marxism and Leninism. Uh, Stalin was in the audience and, and, and he called out, uh, quote unquote, bravo, comrade Lysenko, bravo. Now, not only did he persecute Vavilov, uh, there were thousands of scientists that Lysenko got imprisoned uh, just because they deferred in their views on a number of things with Lysenko. Uh, actually, in 1948, there was a carefully staged, managed, you know, kind of a stage managed pseudo scientific debate, as happens often in our TV networks, where the opposite side, you know, world uh, renowned scientists like Pierre Corey, Peter McCullough are not given a chance to say anything. So these, these in 1948, a carefully stage managed scientific debate, so called. Uh, between the two schools of the Lenin Academy of Agricultural Sciences was terminated by the announcement that the Central Committee had approved Lysenko's position paper. Um, you, can, you can make your own comparisons, comparisons to the present time, CDC or um, whoever it was. And Lysenkoism would henceforth be taught as, quote unquote, the only correct theory. Now, there was a subsequent scramble, scramble for survival, and Soviet geneticists, biologists were forced to denounce each other. And any work that contra contradicted Lysenko's theories uh, were called anti-cosmopolitan. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the fact is uh, the cosmopolitans were supposed to be the guys who, who followed the science, and anybody else uh, was uh, supposed to have the truth. And this anti-cosmopolitan campaign extended to many spheres, many spheres of Soviet science and culture. There was an anti-formalist campaign in music, for example, that targeted the most prominent Soviet composers, uh, Shostakovich, uh, Prokofiev. Uh, I mean, it, it, it extended uh, everywhere. And unfortunately, we see very similar things happening now. Well, we do. We even see musicians and actors and actresses who um, have a different view from the party line are are being denied jobs. We see people are being fired for expressing their opinions, just as you experienced. And I'll say it directly. There are many parallels between Lysenko and Anthony Fauci. Never, ever in medicine in this country have we ever had one person dictating all of the medical decisions for every physician and every patient in the country and extending it to the world because people are listening to what's happening in the United States. Dr. Peter McCullough said that on national television last night. And actually, I agree with him. He, he described Fauci as a medical dictator, and that is exactly what he has become. And that is where he, he has, he was again lying to the American public. Fauci was lying when he said that children needed to be masked 
to protect them from COVID. This is outrageous. And the suppression of the dangers of masking of children is is literally, uh, Laura Ingram described it last night. She said, this is a crime against humanity. And she is right. Never have we had such dictatorship by someone of a bureaucratic role in our government agencies medically. He is not a practicing physician. He's not seeing patients. He's not in the trenches treating patients. And for him to make these categorical statements and direct the way that all of us out in the field who are taking care of patients, what we can and cannot do is, is absolutely unconscionable. And I hope that the day will come when he is held accountable for the deaths that have been caused on his watch as a result of this. Uh, that sounds very much like Lysenkoism, and it sounds very much like uh, Trofim Lysenko. Uh, now, I, I, I have to say that uh, Trofim Lysenko wouldn't have gotten to where he was, this, this, uh, this great apparent uh, genius who wasn't a genius at all, and who's actually whose, whose theories led to the starvation of millions of people because he didn't, he, he actually made it a point uh, to not only not follow the science, but persecute those who were following the science. So this, this guy, Lysenko, wouldn't have gotten to that, that, that place, but for the propaganda machine that the Soviets had at their disposal. And that is exactly what is happening now. And you were talking about children and the fact that masking them is a form of child abuse. Uh, in the Soviet Union, uh, you will know, Dr. Lee, that children were the easiest targets for propaganda. Now, this was also because they had to attend state-run schools where teachers were fired if they were found to be religious. So if they were uh, caught with um, a copy of the Bible, the Quran, the, 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 any, any religious um, utterance at all, uh, they would be fired. Sometimes they would be sent to the gulag, teachers would. And children who admitted to attending church, and this is documented, you can actually check it out. The children who admitted to attending church uh, received poorer marks. Uh, and because of the anti-religious tone of education, uh, students were frequently mocked uh, by their so-called believing, believing in, the, in, in communism uh, peers. So here's the, here's the other uh, disturbing thing. The division of children from parents was actively encouraged by the Soviet Union. They were taught, the children were taught to have a higher loyalty to the state. Uh, not so long ago, I saw a headline in one of the major uh, national newspapers. I can't remember which it was, Dr. Lee. Uh, maybe you can help me there. In the United States, which said, why the headline read, why children should defy their parents and get vaccinated. Now, uh, in the Soviet Union, uh, children, were, were, children were encouraged to uh, denounce their parents for anti-Soviet activities like attending church. 
and the the the, the divide and rule um, tactic is an old one. It's been used by totalitarian regimes as recently as the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany. It's coming upon us, and we really need to wake up. Well, it it is a it is exactly a tactic, and it's a very effective one. There's a not only have children been and young people, uh, we saw that during the Obama years when the Obama administration targeted young people to turn against their parents and to um, be almost um, condemning of their parents and belittling of their parents. It was, it was a very, very psychologically destructive tactic that we saw happening during the uh, Obama administration. And it has been ramped up on steroids under the totalitarians that are pushing control. I mean, President Biden is a puppet, in my opinion. He's, uh, there's no question. I mean, I've spent years in medicine. I have a background in neuropsychiatry, internal medicine, worked with in dementia clinics. There's no question in my mind from behavioral observations and his inability to finish a sentence or know where he is or know what day it is that he has dementia in one form or another. And there are many reasons that that could be the case. So he's a puppet in my opinion, and the puppet masters are pulling the strings and they're going as fast as they can on every front to institute controls in every direction. And they are assisted by the global predators in big tech and the global billionaires who want to see the Western countries be controlled by their agendas and working in collaboration with the Communist Party of China. The Soviet Union is the parallel and it's the playbook, but it's being played out right now by the global predators that are working in collusion with the Communist Party of China. And we already know this, it's well-documented for anyone who hasn't read it, that I would encourage you to read Dr. Peter Bregan's book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. And you can go to wearetheprey.com, buy the book, get the manuscript, look at the timeline, and you will see exactly what Dr. Christian is warning about what I'm describing about the collusion of all of these players that are determined to control humanity to their vision, not God's, but their vision of what we should be like, how we should behave, how we should live our lives, and even how our bodies should work. They are redesigning our bodies with the gene therapy agents. So it is a very chilling prospect, and you are absolutely right to draw the parallels with the Soviet Union. In some respects, the Soviet Union did not go as far as what you and I are seeing happening today. Well, Dr. Lee, uh, the, the, the Soviet uh, Union had all also perfected the art of weaponizing words. So, yes. uh, for example, um, anything that doesn't fit the official narrative is termed nowadays a conspiracy theory. 
So um, I have never ever claimed that the virus was not real or that it had caused thousands of deaths. I had never ever said that you know all vaccines are bad or anything like that. But the the term conspiracy theory is applied in the same way that Lysenko applied it in the Soviet Union uh, to his opponents. So anything that uh, is against the official narrative, lockdown, vaccinate, lockdown, vaccinate, lockdown, vaccinate, uh, anything that goes against that is termed a conspiracy theory. The other thing that uh, uh, you and I have noticed, Dr. Lee, is the fact that they use this term misinformation and disinformation. And yes. is disinformation, misinformation. These are things that the Soviet Union used as well. I mean, uh, anything that they don't agree with, they call misinformation. They bring up experts, Lysenko, for example, who, who was the, the worst possible expert, uh, and they bring up experts. Nobody's heard about these experts before. And then they call them experts. And then they don't have experts from the other side, you know, world-class figures, Peter McCullough, uh, you know, Pierre Corey, uh, Paul Marek. They don't bring up that. They don't debate anything. They call anything they don't like misinformation and disinformation. So th this is a this is a, again a well-known tactic, and Soviet censorship uh, at the time. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Lee, since you've been traveling in the Soviet Union as well, um, uh, you would know that there was a, a an encyclopedia that the the Soviet Union put out, they called it the Great Soviet Encyclopedia. And uh, the, in this, in, in, under censorship, the Great Soviet Encyclopedia states, and I quote, it was aimed only at protecting the interests, interests of the people, end quote. So uh, it, this is happening now too. The, 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 the mainstream media, the, 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 you know, the various arms of government, um, social media platforms claim they're doing this in the interests of the people, but they're not, clearly. Uh, there is the other thing that I wanted to talk about, if we have time, Dr. Lee, and that is the Soviet Samizdat. Yes, I think that would be good. We have about four minutes left, so I think that would be important to bring up. Okay, so... Um, the, the Soviet uh, government had this iron arm of censorship, which is happening now, uh, but it wasn't, wasn't able to completely eradicate the truth. So, uh, it, the, the, Dr. Lee, you and I know the term Samizdat because we know about the Soviet Union, and Samizdat is Russian for self-published press. So, in the Soviet Union, if you were caught with a Bible or a Quran or a copy of the great works of literature, um, Bulgakov and uh, Solzhenitsyn and so on, you could be sent to the gulag. You could sometimes end up in a psychiatric hospital or go before a firing squad. But across Russia, in basements and small apartments, um, typewriters, hand, manual typewriters were busy circulating handmade copies, you know, verses of the Bible, banned literature to various people in, and they were eagerly consumed by the people of Russia. Um, the, the fact is they could not stop it. And Dr. Lee, you are the Samizdat of today. You are the, you are the, the voice of truth, uh, piercing this darkness. 
And, and the fact is, uh, the BBC in 1946, the BBC now, by the way, is also unfortunately an arm of government. But the BBC, the Voice of America, Deutsche Welle, they started broadcasting radio services for Soviet citizens. And guess what the Kremlin did? It was not happy, of course. And, 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 and the, the, the Soviets became expert at blocking radio frequencies. So that is exactly what's happening now, too. Any yeah. very various people are being blocked in various ways. But guess what? When the Soviet Union crumbled, fell all around us in the 1990s, what was remaining? The Bible was intact. Um, Mikhail Bulgakov's Master and Margarita was intact. Boris Pasternak's Dr. Zhivago was intact. Alexander Solzhenitsyn's great novels were intact. And so when this tyranny, which we are living through, is finally over, there will be a reckoning. And I ask my colleagues in medicine, if there's a voice of conscience now that's telling you uh, that you should speak out, speak up for the vulnerable, for the kids, for example, who are being forced in many ways, coerced to get the vaccine, who are not being given informed consent, speak up now because later may be too late. And on that warning, we will end this show with Dr. Christian and I will have him back because his message is critical for all of us. He speaks truth and you can learn more medical truth at www.truth.org health.org, a public charity dedicated to bringing you medically sound, truthful information to help you save your life and decide what is best for you in free will to live your life and your health as God designed it, not the government. This is Dr. Lee for America signing off for today. We will be back with more hard-hitting truth in all areas of the fabric of American life to help you learn what you need to do to stay free. Get, a, get involved, get loud, and tune into all the resources on America Out Loud. heart and soul of a nation beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor, 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 our soul. soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to the second hour of Voice of a Nation. We are continuing the very poignant discussion that we had the first hour with Dr. Francis Christian, a Canadian trauma surgeon who went through a Stalinistic persecution in Canada for his 
simple warnings to parents about the importance of informed consent with regard to the experimental COVID vaccines. And it really was a chilling story. If you did not hear the first hour, please go back and grab that on podcast because this is a truly frightening portent of what is to come if we allow medical tyranny to continue to take its tentacles into every aspect of our lives and controlling everything we do under the guise of keeping you safe, protecting the public health, all of which, of course, has turned out to be a major deception and a total propaganda campaign foisted on the American public and the world. And with me today is another guest who is taking on medical tyranny and medical censorship and really working hard with the grassroots organization that she's created to help Americans and be a model for the world in that as well, to live free again. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. And I thought this was the perfect guest to continue after you heard Dr. Christian's really terrible and very frightening tale of how he was almost um, trying to be manipulated into having a psychiatric illness by his medical investigators just because he tried to stand up for legitimate informed consent. That's a very frightening prospect. And so I felt like my next guest would be a great way to help us all look at exactly what we have to do to get involved and act and take our freedoms back. Pam Popper is an internationally recognized expert on nutrition, medicine, and health, and the founder and executive director of Wellness Forum Health. She is the co-author of an explosive new book, The COVID Operation, What Happened, Why It Happened, and What's Next. She is one of the co-founders of the growing powerful grassroots organization, Make Americans Free Again, a national organization committed to ending medical tyranny. This group has funded lawsuits in several states, rescued small businesses in communities throughout the U.S., and assist parents in seeking alternatives to conventional indoctrination through the educational system, currently called an educational system, and help parents look at alternatives that allow them to provide true education, not indoctrination. She is launching a new initiative to end medical censorship, which is desperately needed, having been a physician who's been subject to medical censorship, trying to get information about early treatment for COVID and the vaccine risk. And I was summarily canceled from Twitter after years of work and building a whole content base 
just summarily dis, disbanded from Twitter and canceled, suspended permanently for tweeting about vaccine risk and early treatment options. Pam Popper also has been involved for her whole career in nutrition and medicine and health. And she has such an extensive bio that I'm not going to read it all to you today and share it with you today here because I want to hear from her. But I really want to encourage our listeners to go to wellnessforumhealth.com to read more about her longstanding work in that field and also to join the movement that she is a co-founder of and Truth for Health Foundation, the organization that I've created as a public charity, we're all joining the movement to make Americans free again and go to that website, makeamericansfreeagain.com. Welcome, Pam. Thank you so much for being with us on Voice of a Nation. I can't think of a better platform for you and your work. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, and to be with another warrior like you who's fighting the good fight every day. We have to find each other and stick together because it can get a little lonely out there if we don't hang out with some of our own tribe, right? Boy, you're right about that. And I'm just so glad to actually reconnect with you because it turns out Pam and I actually met a number of years ago in, in Ohio when I was giving a program there. And she reminded me of that. So it's it, both of us have been out there on the health and wellness front in different ways, trying to help empower people to look at ways you can take back control and get off of medicines you don't need and live a healthy lifestyle and learn how to eat in a healthy way. And that's particularly true for COVID. So thank you for being here today and talking about all of that. Yeah, and there is a lot to talk about. I mean, there's everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, ranging from um, you know inflated fear about the virus and suppressing information that would help people, and um, and then fanning the flames of fear just through all the government actions. And I think that um, people are sort of shell shocked. I mean, there are a lot of people who knew from the beginning that this was something was terribly wrong. Um, and I, I consider us lucky because we did not fall prey to the worst of all of this, which is being terrified of the world that we live in, you know, so, so we're pretty lucky to have been cognizant early on of what's going on. But, but the, I'm very concerned about the population out there who bought this story and are, uh, and are cowering waiting for the next announcement of something bad coming, which appears to be the Delta variant. It's actually the vaccine variant, but you know, they call it the Delta variant. <laughs> and that's the new way of scaring the heck out of people. And so it's uh, it's been a wild ride for 16, 17 months. And we're going to be at this for a real, real long time. This is not going away anytime soon. That's the bad news. There's good news too, but that's the bad news. Well, that you're right, because they have learned <clears throat> how to in, <clears throat> intimidate the population through fear and through fear of something happening to your health. And they've become extraordinarily effective at doing that. And I think that's a, actually a very good term, the vaccine variant, because what the rhetoric is ramping up to blame the unvaccinated people for the problem is really happening because this vaccine is 
making the people who've been vaccinated less sensitive to the variants that have been present since the get-go. We had 60 variants of this Wuhan virus as early as February 2020. We, that's what we knew of, and there were probably many more. So this ramping up the rhetoric on the Delta variant, medically, there are two false narratives. Number one, the vaccine is not effective against the Delta variant. And number two, the Delta variant is actually a milder illness. It's, it's more, it spreads easily, but, but it's milder. It, people have the simples and that's about it. So they are using this to justify lockdowns. And that goes to your point about medical tyranny. So talk about, tell our listeners what you're doing on the front to help stop this, this absolute terrifying medical tyranny. Yeah, and I think the first thing in understanding how we solve the problem is understanding how we got to this place. Um, I've been in the healthcare business for 26 years, and medical tyranny's gotten worse every year since I got involved in healthcare. And if you go back and look at history in the United States, medical history, um, the medical profession has been engaging in medical tyranny for probably 50, 60 years. It's gets, it gets worse every year, but it's a subtle getting worse. In other words, they've never done anything like this before. So every year it would get a little bit worse. And, and people have gotten complacent about things. We have an awful lot of people in our country who just do what the government says. And that's kind of allowed some of this to happen. So um, what I, I think defining medical tyranny might be helpful. Medical tyranny is everything from requiring vaccination for work or to go to school. Um, medical tyranny is when a psychiatrist tells a parent, you will give your five-year-old Risperdal because he's got a behavior problem or I'll call child protective services and have them taken away from you. I mean, there are all kinds of different ways that the um, government and medicine and drug companies partner together to terrorize people. And um, a lot of people have tried to do something about this for the last 50 years, and a lot of money's been spent on it, and it still gets worse every year. So, so what the, the one negative thing, and I like to talk about positive things, but, but we have to take a look at what didn't work so that we don't do those things anymore. And at some point in time, petitions and declarations and emailing your representatives and your senators and protests and um, expert testimony and scientific articles. I mean, all the things that sensible people might say would be good things to do to try to influence the government to work for instead of against you. Those things fall on deaf ears right now. People don't even pay attention. And uh, we saw this last year, we saw two branches of government go completely off the deep end after years of trending that way. The executive branch has gone off the deep end, both at the federal and at the state level, and the legislative branch has become useless. Last year with all these affected states, our legislatures essentially watched the, the I call them emperors and empresses, they're not elected officials, but they watched these people put people out of business, they watch the suicide rate go up, they watch the unemployment rate go up, they watch people who are elderly die alone in nursing homes, and they didn't do anything about it. And so um, as I was looking at all of this history and I was looking at how things were going last year, I thought really the way that we're gonna solve this is by attacking this in, a, in four or five different ways. And I think the first thing is understanding the importance of lawsuits. It's the, the courts are the, the last functional branch of government we have right now. 
You know, people say to me, Pam, there are corrupt judges and, you know, look at what's happened in some situations. I say, I know that. But if you file lots and lots and lots of lawsuits, dozens and maybe hundreds in different jurisdictions, you just need one judge to, to utter these fabulous magical words that we have now heard for the first time in a case. Discovery starts tomorrow. All right. Because we don't have to depose Mr. Fauci 50 times. We just need him one time. And we don't have to have the CDC deliver documents to 42 locations. One will do because all the attorneys will share that information and then things will start to go the other direction. And by the way, this strategy has been used successfully. It was it was how they took down the Sackler family, the people who own Purdue Pharma, who killed hundreds of thousands of people with their opiate drugs. So that's the first thing. We have to use the branch of government that still functions on some level. So we started filing lawsuits. And we can talk a little bit about the difference in our lawsuits from others that have been filed because we've been successful so far. The second thing we have to do is we have got to recognize that one of the ways in which they were able to do this is that people are so disconnected from each other. I mean, it used to be you knew your neighbors and you were very connected in your community and people move around a lot. I mean, there are a lot of influences on this, but, but we're just not connected to people. So we have to start gathering up people in, in, in close proximity to one another. And I'll come back to that in a minute. And, uh, and then we have to start attacking the problems that were going on before that just got worse through all this. And, and, and so long story short, as I was looking at this last year, I asked myself, am I going to take this on? I prayed a little bit. I prayed a lot about it, actually. And to a certain extent, I felt like I was made to do this a little bit um, because of some of my background. Um, but I, I did say this to myself, you know, God, if you want me to do this, I'm going to do it. But I just have to tell you, I'm not going to do stuff that doesn't work because at this age, I just don't have it in me to, to do a lot of stuff that doesn't work. So, so here's what we did. We decided that our, one of our strategies would be filing lawsuits and we'd file different kinds of lawsuits than the ones that were lost because there were thousands of lawsuits filed and most of them didn't succeed. Well, what were the succeed, what were the lawsuits that people were filing? They were filing lawsuits claiming their constitutional rights were being violated. They were, but the government would acknowledge that and then say, well, we had to do it because it's an emergency. So we said, okay, we're not going to file those lawsuits. What we'll do is challenge the emergency itself. So our lawsuits in some way, shape, or form claim that there's no justification for this. There is no emergency that officials know it and they're committing fraud. And, um, and, and we filed our first one on August 31st and immediately things started changing in the state we live in, which is where we filed first. Then we started gathering people together, like people were already disconnected from one another. So we started having these meetings. We call them Thursday groups because it was the only night of the week I had free. So we started meeting on Thursday. But you could immediately see a change in people's demeanor when they started getting in the same room with lots of other humans with no masks on. They made new friends because a lot of us have lost friends and associates in this whole thing because of the arguing and all that. And, and then we got to work doing things. We had to raise money for attorneys. And people ask me how much money we have to raise. I don't know, like $100 million. But if you have enough people, it's not a problem, right? You, you, you amass a group of 80 million people and people put in a dollar a year. That's a big war chest. So we, we started having fundraisers, raising money for the attorneys, but then we started rolling up our sleeves and working in our communities. We started a program called Small Business Rescue. 
and we go find businesses that were in trouble because of the emperor's uh, actions. And we would spend money there. We organized buying groups. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I have enough pottery in my closet upstairs for gifts for the next 20 years. I don't have to go shopping. Those of us who could do that kind of thing did it, you know. And, uh, and, and then it made people feel good. You know, part of, part of the problem is that people are so debilitated, you got to get them feeling good again. So they're meeting new friends, no masks, we're gathering, we're saving small businesses. And then we have all kinds of plans to do other things. We're launching this initiative this month for helping parents get their children out of these uh, despotic environments that they used to, dystopian environments, I should say, that they used to call school. And uh, we're going to work on the medical censorship issue. But um, it is only by attacking this at the root cause, the medical censorship, the programming of children, um, the lack of connection in the community and using the courts to get our freedoms back and, and get some case law that means this can never happen again, that, that we're going to restore ourselves to where we used to be. And one last thing I'll add, I'm not a real vindictive person, but I have made up my mind that once we start proving that these people committed fraud, we're gonna go after them personally and take their assets away. They're all rich people who did this. And the money we take from them will go a long way in making people whole that they ruined. So that's the base, that's the basic plans. There are lots of details to talk about, but that's basically what we're doing. And we're growing like wildfire because people are starting to understand that this very simple, disciplined approach can really, really work and it is working. No, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant approach. And that's exactly what we need. And you know, it's very similar in philosophy to what has taken me down a different road in medicine. And that is the basic principle. If what you're doing isn't working, stop doing it mm -hmm. and do right. something different. Well, for example, just a short observation in women's health, which is really where I was working um, on a lot of this early on, they kept, doctors kept giving women more and more medicines for more and more symptoms and no one was getting to the root cause and people would come in for a consult with me and they'd be on eight or nine or 10 medicines prescribed by different doctors, maybe appropriately for that symptom, but nobody had ever gotten to the underlying cause. So it, that model of practicing in my medicine work is what was helping me think through what do we do in this pandemic? Well, you go back to basics. What they were doing wasn't working. And what we've always done is working, i.e. start early with early treatment. And I just thought back in February, March, I'm not going to let patients die on my watch if I can help them by doing something that is medically sound and fits with our basic principles. Treat early and treat properly, knowing what you're treating and we knew the virus, we knew it had caused inflammation and we knew it caused blood clots. Well, we, we treat that all the time. So your model and what you've been doing to help make Americans free again is a similar model and philosophy to what I've always thought we needed to do more of in medicine. And we've gotten more and more locked down in insurance protocols and CDC guidelines, CDC doesn't treat patients. Why are doctors following guidelines for treatment when CDC's mission is and charge and charter has to do with contagion control? So 
your model of breaking out of that box of what's always been done that wasn't working is exactly what we need to be doing a whole lot more of. Right. Well, and, and this whole idea of the, of the way medicine works, um, you know, it, part, part of our problem is that if people really understood viruses and that they, and they were taught to look into things on their own, uh, like they do with everything else except for medicine, then everybody would know that this is ridiculous, that it's, there's no pandemic and there is early treatment available and all that sort of thing. But the, the problem we have that's compounded the issue is that the medical profession has done a very good job of convincing people that this is just all so complicated that you can't, you, people can't figure it out. So you better just listen to what we're telling you and do what we say, right? Nobody would tolerate this in any other field. I mean, just think about, does anybody call a realtor and say, I'm so stupid, I can't figure out where to live. So just tell me, buy a house and I'll just go there and live there when you tell me. I mean, that's not the way we do anything else in our life to surrender all of our intellect and all of our curiosity and all of our, you know, I should check things out before I do it um, kind of mentality. So, so the part of what allowed this to happen is censorship. People have trouble getting the right information. But even before that, a lot of misbehavior was going on in medicine because doctors taught people to do what they're told because you can't possibly understand what this is all about. Thus, people go from doctor to doctor and they take drugs and supplements and and, uh, and everybody specializes in a body part. There's no accountability for making anybody well. Again, to use an analogy, can you imagine taking your car in for repairs and the brakes don't work after the third visit and you drive into a tree? I mean, it, you couldn't stay in business fixing brakes that way, right? So we have a lot of fixing to do. And I think some of the good news is that if we play our cards right, and I think I have a pretty good plan for solving this, we could end up cre recreating or, or not recreating, but creating a system that's far better than the one that's getting blown up right now. So I think ultimately we're going to win this. And I think that we're probably going to shock the heck out of the people who planned it because they think they're so smart and omnipotent and all that kind of thing. But uh, I really think we're going to win this and we're going to end up better off uh, once we get through the disaster that we're dealing with right now. I, th I think that's a profoundly important point. And in fact, one of the things that, that I'd said to your point is a few years ago, I just wrote an editorial, free markets in medicine aren't broken, they aren't allowed to work. And the educational system is broken because it's controlled by the teachers union, not the parents of the children that they are supposed to serve. So you made the point earlier, if we've revise the educational system, take the kids out of the school buildings and let the parents and neighborhood and community groups create the homeschool centers that you've started, then you remove the power from the union and from the people who are failing us and yet being paid with our tax dollars to, to destroy our children. Well, and I, I think that goes to a point that we need to make is that um, is, uh, we're too nice on our side of the deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the other people clearly on the other side of this, the people doing this to us, they have no morals, they have no ethics, and they'll stop at nothing. And they're rude and aggressive and that sort of thing. And I'm not suggesting that we be like them. But I am suggesting that what we have to do is, is fight fire with fire. And here's what I mean by that. So let's take the kids, for example. Um, I just came from my third Thursday group meeting, and we'll talk about the Thursday groups a little bit in a bit, but 
anyway, um, we're, we're working very hard on this initiative to help parents. And so a new parent was in our meeting tonight and, and said, well, you know, do, do you really think that there's no reasoning with these schools? There isn't any reasoning with these schools. We could spend the next four hours and I can prove it to you that the schools are not going to be reasonable. And we've cornered them. We've sent emails deliberately to cause them to write back what their real plans are. And it's terrifying. I'll tell you what they'll respond to. They will respond to empty buildings. When, teacher, when the teachers union no longer has jobs for its members, they will change their tune. That's what it takes. That's what will make them realize they have to change. Um, another group of people that I'm gonna suggest we handle entirely differently is our legislators, all right? I watched one of the most horrifying videos I've ever seen in terms of politics. When in California, a Senate committee was considering the bill whether or not to mandate all the vaccines for school children and you know, as a condition of enrollment. And so at this particular hearing, 53 people stepped up to the microphone one at a time and said they were for the bill. And over 1,490 people stepped up to the microphone one at a time. This thing went on like half the night and said they were against it. And at the end of the evening, they voted for it anyway. That's the biggest, I mean, that's the best example of just completely disconnected, don't care about us or our kids or our health or our families. They're gonna do whatever the heck they want, right? This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation. And this is Ham Popper talking about the voices of the people of this nation and making Americans free again. We'll be right back after the break. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Now, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed ourselves. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com 
Simply put, we're patriots who believe in Ronald Reagan's vision of a shining city on a hill. From sea to shining sea, you can listen in on iHeartRadio. Our free apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or our world-class media player. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation, Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host, here with Pam Hopper, who was talking about the problems of medical tyranny and some of the problems in our schools and the problems with the legislators who are not responding to the people. We've all experienced that. And with words of wisdom about a strategic plan to help fix the problem. So carry on, Pam. Yeah, so, you know, we I was talking about this before the break, about this, you know, 53, uh, 4 and 1,490-some against. How do you vote for a bill like that? It's just a complete disconnect from what people want. And I, I did some investigating. This made me so curious that I started looking into this, and I figured something out. I think, I mean, nobody told me this, but this is what I think is going on. I think the legislatures in the states have become a place where people – um, and, and if they're good, if they're good, then they get rewards at the end. So you might start out as a state representative and then you run for state attorney general or Congress, or, or you might get one of these really choice appointments from the governor where you get to be on the liquor board, you get $80,000 a year for attending three meetings. And I know there are exceptions to the rule, but this is more prevalent than you might think. Well, how do you get these little goodies? Well, you don't make anybody mad when you're there. And the best way to do that is just don't do anything. So they sit there, they pass weak bills that don't really change anything and, and that sort of thing. So um, if what, what really, see, I think you have to look at what really motivates people. What really motivates these people is they just want to be there. That's the only thing we can take away from them that matters. And the problem, I looked at that 1,490 some people, that's not enough people to take even a single one of those senators out, right? So, so as we're growing these groups all over the country, and we start a new one about every seven nanoseconds, which is wonderful, um, we're going to eventually end up with maybe 80 million people. Maybe it's more than that, because I think a lot of people don't want medical tyranny. And then we can start having different conversations with our legislators. We can demonstrate to them that we have thousands or maybe even tens of thousands of people in their district. And if they won't vote for what the people want, we vote them out. And um, we might have to take a few people out in order to prove that we can do it and we will do it. And then I think they'll start to be more compliant. And I think it's quite very unfortunate that that has to, it has to be that way because I do remember a time uh, when you could actually talk to a legislator and if your argument was coherent and you had evidence, you could persuade them, but those days are gone. So yeah, I was saying before the break, I think that, um, I, I mean, I'm never gonna do anything like what we've watched some of the criminals on the other side do. But I do think we do have to wake up and realize what we're dealing with. And it's going to take money and it's going to take huge numbers of people and a massive, well-orchestrated movement and, and very disciplined approach to this. And if we do everything right, uh, we can fix the problem. And then how we guarantee it never happens again is we never let these people not be accountable to us again. Uh, but that, that's that's an important part of this and the amassing of the tens of millions of names. If we don't do that, this will happen again. And now they've had some practice, so they know how to do it better the next time. 
Well, that that's right. And and I I also think that a reason that many of the legislators are not interested in doing very much. I think you're correct in your assessment, but I think they also, many of them know that if they get elected and serve a term, for example, in Congress, they've got a lifetime pension. And so for many, I, I know of several from Arizona who ran saying, well, if I get, if I win this election, then my retirement is secure. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. about lost it. I was so angry at that. And well, we got to get back to public service. See, yeah. that, that's you bring up a really important point. I'm so glad you did. You know, it used to be public service, and I I, I read a lot of history. And if you read our our early presidents, they couldn't wait to go back to their life. They had no desire to be in politics for the rest of their life. Abraham Lincoln used to write all the time. He wanted to go back to Illinois and get out, you know, get away. This has become something that you can actually make your whole career out of, and that has to stop. Well, not only make your whole career out of it, make yourself extraordinarily wealthy by playing the insider games that they play and pay to play is whether or not it's legal hasn't seemed to make much difference. It used to be that the whole foundation of this country was built upon citizen legislators. Mm -hmm. Exactly as you described. In fact, Senator Ron Johnson today still describes himself that way. We, I did an interview with him and he said, I want to clarify something. I'm not a politician. I'm a citizen legislator. I was a businessman and I'm going back to being a businessman. I committed to serve X number of terms. I did not get elected to serve for life. Mm-hmm. That is what we need. But the other problem, Pam, that is not being addressed, and you don't hear a lot of people talking about it, and we ran up against this in spades through the pandemic suppression of of the medications that could have helped. And that is term limits for legislators is not going to do a bit of good if we have this entrenched deep state bureaucracy that serves its own needs, its own power, its own money agendas, and its political agendas through the bureaucracy, because it was the FDA bureaucrats and the CDC bureaucrats were that were more of a problem than the legislators not doing all that they could do. They could not break through that entrenched bureaucracy at the FDA. Well, and that's, we have to do a lot of things at the federal level, and, and we're so long from being able, a long way away from doing it. Um, but there are ways around it, actually, because healthcare is delivered and regulated at the state level. But one of the big problems with the FDA and the, the NIH and the CDC as well is the amount of drug money that flows into those agencies. Because you know the the, the Al Gore's signature bill was that bill that provides the drug for the drug companies to pay the FDA to review their products. They, they approve almost everything that's submitted, drugs and devices. So when, when I hear all this business, well, I hope this gets approved and they're going to have a hearing you know, to, to um, consider approving a drug, they approve them all. And these, these vaccines, for example, the COVID vaccines, they're going to get approved even on, without the EUA. Uh, that was predetermined a long, 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 long time ago. And they've paid handsomely for that. So the way that we, get, the way that we disable the FDA well, until we or make them irrelevant is that uh, the, all the medicine and, and practice of healthcare is regulated at the state level. 
And another thing we have to do is organize practitioners and pool our money. And I'm talking about licensed and unlicensed practitioners because they that's one of the ways that um, that they keep consumers from finding out the truth about anything is, is threatening the licensed practitioners and prosecuting the unlicensed practitioners. So we all gotta get together and decide that we all have a horse in this race, pool our money, and then start defending healthcare professionals that get in trouble and sue these licensure boards and sue the Federation of State Medical Boards and, um, and, and get this taken care of at the state level. And um, there's a, the, I'll tell you, one of the things I'm convinced is gonna save us is that our founders were so bright and they invested so much power in the states. The 10th Amendment uh, really gives the states an enormous amount of power. And you're already seeing some uh, you know, promising things, not with regard to um, uh, this medical tyranny thing, but some of it actually where uh, governors have, have issued executive orders banning vaccine passports or they've, um, they won't, they've issued executive orders saying no masks in schools. And these are little steps and it's not enough, but we are seeing the states take control of a lot of issues, including this one, uh, to a certain extent, which renders what the feds do irrelevant. And, um, and so there was a coordinated effort to control how this was all dealt with by the licensure boards all over the country. And, um, and that is a fixable problem much more easily than fixing the FDA. You're right. And that definitely needs to be done because the state medical boards and the governors were issuing restrictions on physicians' independent practice, and that was costing lives. And actually, lawsuits could be implemented on that abuse of power and the fact that there were damages to people's lives as a result of them practicing medicine without a license. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you that medicine has been taken out of the hands of healthcare professionals and put into agencies and governments. And uh, I mean, even here in Ohio, there was a medical doctor, well, there's always a medical doctor in charge of the Department of, of, uh, of the Ohio Department of Health. But the person who was in charge of the Ohio Department of Health, who's when this whole thing started, is a doctor by the name of Amy Acton. And, and she had no qualifications for that position, none. And, and it, it, plus she's, she, you know, she made up her background. It's a wild story. I wrote about it in my book. She made up her background. Uh, she never was homeless. She never was without food. Her mother finally stepped forward and, and cleared the record. She has a history of alcohol and drug abuse. It's on her medical license. And so the, our governor, well then, you know, before he declared himself the emperor, he puts this unhinged, uh, emotionally disturbed person in charge of a state and puts the power over 11.6 million people in her hands, right? So uh, the, the, the whole thing is so screwed up. Nobody should have that kind of power over that many people's lives. And, and there should be some kind of check and balance. But, but we've got, I think we need to deconstruct all these medical institutions, get the practice of medicine back into family practice uh, docs who are solo practitioners and and that sort of thing. So they can use their own judgment and they're a lot harder to control. The fact that medicine's so institutionalized is one of the things that gave them so much control over things like hydroxychloroquine and uh, early treatment. Well, and the way that they gained that control was the consolidation of the independent practitioners into these large group practices owned by health systems with the physician's employees now who are being subject to administrative control and administrators who are not physicians saying, in this, if you are going to remain an employee of this practice, you cannot prescribe 
hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin for COVID. My own primary care doctor is part of one of those large groups. And that's what he was told. He was not allowed to prescribe it. Now, my mindset is I wouldn't sell my soul and stay in that environment. But not everyone has that mindset. Well, I think we've got to we've got to help those doctors, and and I I actually have a plan for that. It's not part of Make Americans Free Again. We'd do a whole other show on this on, on this other idea, but there's another element of this institutionalizing of medicine. Um, I'm 64, and I remember our family doctor when I was a kid. He was a family doctor. He took care of my mother, my dad, my sister, and I, and my maternal grandparents who lived nearby, and my uncle and my aunt and their five children, my cousins, and so that's the family doctor. He knew our family. He knew our family history, all right? And, and he knew when my mother called to say, bring her in or you know, just have her rest for today and go back to school, whatever. Okay, so there's another aspect of that relationship. Not only did he know our family, but he had a relationship with us. And people generally, people who have a soul, don't hurt people they have a relationship with, right? So we institutionalize medicine. I talked to somebody yesterday who's in a medical system, one of these ginormous systems out in California. And every time this person goes to see a cardiologist, it's a different person because you don't need a relationship. You're just going to look at the lab results and then prescribe something. My gosh, you wouldn't even have to come in. You could just do that over the phone. Well, gosh, there's, they're pushing that now, right? Why don't we just do all telemedicine? So I think that part of the problem is that when doctors become disconnected from their patients in this way, um, they would never hurt people in the way that they're hurting people who they have no relationship with at all. And I think we've got to restore that doctor-patient relationship. The doctor has, exercises judgment, uh, knows the family, um, protects, uh, protects the patient, has a vested interest in that, and um, get them the heck out of these institutions. I think a lot of them thought their life would be easier when they made this deal with the devil and joined these practices, but I think most of them would like to get out. The good ones would like to get out. I think you're right. And actually, the heart and soul of medicine has always been that sacred relationship between the doctor and the patient and the physician truly committed to the best interest of the patient, not to the interest of the insurance company and the administration and the health system. And I, I do think it's killed the soul of, of many physicians. I think that's why there's such high burnout in medicine and high suicide rate among physicians. Yeah, and that's a, and we can rebuild another system out of this whole thing. But I think the first thing is everything that we're talking about requires massive mobilization and it requires a massive number of people to gather under a tent with a very simple proposition. We're against medical tyranny. We want the right to decide what to do with our bodies and by extension of our children, minor children's bodies. And we have to look at all the ways in which we've lost that control and, and restore that control back to the people. And so I think the first thing we start doing is congregating. I started last, last August was our first, or, or July, mid-July, I guess. We're coming on our anniversary, I think. Uh, Mid-July was our first meeting. I posted my first video about Make Americans Free Again. And, um, and we started putting our communities back together by actual physical contact in the same room with other humans in our community. Because here's the thing, I live in Worthington, Ohio, and you know who cares most about businesses in Worthington? People who live in Worthington. You know who cares most about school children in Worthington? People who live in Worthington. Now I care about people everywhere, but I live here, right? And so this whole idea, you get on a Zoom call with 35 people who live in six different states, 
They can't help babysit your child if you're going to homeschool and you need somebody to take care of them in the afternoon. They're not going to, they can't patronize a business that needs help down the street from you. You, you, We have to get this local thing right. And this grassroots means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But I think that the term has been grossly misunderstood. This is grassroots. What I've been seeing before is not. Another thing that I talk about, I do a conference call every week where I train people how to get engaged with our business. And I say, listen, another thing that didn't work, and I did this too, I mean, I'll fess up here, is we used to think that if you want to support an organization or an advocacy group, you put your name and your email address in the database, and then you send money. And if you can send more money, you send more money. And then you wait for the people who run the organization to give you the happy news that they solved your problem for you. Well, that doesn't work, right? So in our world, everybody works. Everybody has to start a group. Sometimes people will say, well, it'd be a lot easier if you just give me a group nearby and I could go join them. And I I try to be as nice as I can. I say, it it would be wonderful to have a social director, but we don't have the resources for that. So you're going to have to start a group. You have to work. We all work at Make Americans Free Again because if citizens don't don't get engaged and roll up their sleeves and say, listen, I have to take responsibility. A dozen people in Ohio can't fix this for 337 million people. We all have to get together and fix it. And that idea, I think when I started talking about it, people get a little testy with me, but I think they're starting to realize because they've been putting their names and email addresses and databases in the last 16 months and they haven't gotten the happy news that the problem's solved, right? So we're starting to get that engagement and sense of responsibility that I think we all have to have if we're gonna solve the problem. We're starting to get the numbers too. And then the other thing is I have a philosophy that we use in this organization, which is we only take on things that we can win. And what I mean by that is people are debilitated by the government and the things that have been done to them and getting their kids out of school. And then, you know, they try all this stuff like signing declarations and sending letters and all this, and it doesn't work. And it's just, everything doesn't work. So I'm very careful. I'm protective of my people. And so I'll get these emails, you know, you want to organize your group to get out of the state house and advocate for this bill or that bill. I don't do that. You know why? Because these legislatures are useless and spending time with them is a waste of time. And it's another way to set my people up for failure. So we do things that we can win. We save one small business, we win. We get one child out of school, we win. That's a child that gets saved from the system, right? So little by little by little, we're starting to get people to believe that they can succeed at this. That's that's probably the biggest thing we have to overcome is the feeling like, well, it's just so corrupt and screwed up, nobody can fix it. Yes, we can, we can do it. And if I show you through your Thursday groups and, and that sort of thing, how to start having success, people start to say, you know what? Maybe she, maybe that crazy Pam Popper's right. We can work our way out of this. So um, I think that those are the things that we have to focus on if we're gonna fix this. And then um, I do wanna go after these people who did this. I think we, you know, you talk about the FDA and you, you made very mention of a very important thing, which is the number of people who died because they didn't get access to early treatment because yes. of the pharmacy boards and all that. We have to make these people pay in significant ways. Some, some of them criminally and some of them certainly um, with asset forfeiture. And, uh, and, and I think we can teach the world a lesson that this is just not something you want to get engaged in doing. You know, the Nazis got executed after the Nuremberg trials and 
it just became not such a good idea for a long time to be a Nazi. And we've got to, we've got to start um, making people pay for this. And some of them have been at it for a long time, like Mr. Fauci. You notice I don't call him doctor because he should not have a medical license. Mr. Fauci has escalated. His, uh, his terrible acts have gotten worse over time. He needs to be out of that job and he needs to pay for what he did. I couldn't agree more. You and I both know the history, and it, we won't get into it in this show, but you and I both know the history of what he did in the debacle of his management of the AIDS epidemic, and that that was criminal at the time, in my mind, and now it's, it's escalated to global proportions in what he's done. He needs to have the same consequences that the doctors in Nuremberg faced, but that's another show. And I think that the other aspect of it is helping. Yes, we need to make the people accountable for the lives they cost. And you know, what's interesting. You're saying the same things I started saying on air on every media interview I did beginning March, April last year. Where are the lawyers that will stand up and go after the governors and the legislators and the pharmacy boards and the medical boards who are preventing doctors from giving the helpful medicines to their patients and saving lives. Where are the lawyers? And and what's happened is that many of the big firms have the same conflicts that we see in medicine. They don't wanna lose another client, so they won't take on these controversial cases. It's, It's become the independent doctors, the independent, citizen, small business owners and people like you and the independent lawyers that have said, no, we're not going to take this anymore. We're going to stand up and fight. Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. We're going to take this on. Exactly. Always made this country great is the individual people taking responsibility for their communities and their families and their lives and their survival. Exactly. And it goes back, again, that pushes things down to the local level too. You know, everything's been institutionalized. And, um, and, and, you know, if you're a lawyer working in a, in a firm, part of the problem is that even if the firm doesn't have conflicts of interest, the lawyers working there don't have freedom because they have to bill out you know, so many hours and that sort of thing in order to make partner. And then they have to bill out so many hours to get their bonuses. And, and so the attorneys that are representing us and in, um, in every one of our uh, pieces of litigation are, are um, independent attorneys or they're in a two-man practice, two-person practice. And uh, they're very principled people. They have the freedom to take something like this on. They're not answerable to anybody. And, um, and they're patriots. You know, Tom Renz says, our, our head lawyer always says, you know, we've got to get up every morning and our priorities have to be, you know, God, family, country. And um, uh, you know, salt of the earth kind of people who do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, take as much heat as they have to for doing it and are beholden to no one in terms of how they make their decisions. And so uh, fortunately, there are a lot of those lawyers around when, and, and you can find them probably more independent lawyers than there are independent doctors, I would imagine at this point. Oh, there have no question over 85%, for example, of primary care physicians not, not even getting into the consolidation of specialists in these large group practices 
are are in large group primary care practices. They the independent doctor is deliberately being driven out because it is with this administrative consolidation that they maintain control over what's done. So it's been by design, AAPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons that I've been a member of for now close to probably 30 years is one of the leading medical organizations that is trying to teach doctors how to, to resign from insurance contracts and go to independent practice and answer to the patients, which is what medicine has always done and what I've done in my practice since 1986. Yeah, and that's so needed. I, I, I think that's the key. I think doctors would, a lot of them would get out of their own medical mill, uh, the institutions they work in, if they had a pathway out. So I think that what you're doing is marvelous to help them do it. And, um, and this might, you know, again, looking at the silver lining, um, I would say if you went back to fall of 2019 and you surveyed doctors working for um, institutions and you asked them two questions, you know, are you happy? No. Um, do you want to leave? Well, maybe three questions. Do you want to leave? You'd get a lot of yeses. Are you intending to leave? I think that I think most of them would have said no. But I, I get emails from all over the world from all kinds of people. It's kind of a fortunate thing that I hear from so many people. I learn something new every five minutes. But I'm getting so many emails from doctors and nurses and, and healthcare employees who are saying, um, every day I'm becoming increasingly convinced I just can't stay in this environment. I'm going to have to find something else to do. So, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, I think that to a certain extent, I kind of chuckle when I say this, this is going to backfire on these people. The intention was to crash the medical system, destroy the kids through education, psychologically damage them, separate people, bankrupt people. Well, you know, I think we're screwing up their plans big time. You know, small business rescue. I mean, it's a local community effort, but they never counted on that. They never counted on Tom Renz. They certainly didn't count on me and count on you and count on all these like-minded people finding each other. And, and really the question isn't, are we going to win? It's just how long does it take to get that to that tipping point that Malcolm Gladwell writes about all the time. And we're getting closer and closer and there. And I'm kind of chuckling too, because I'm watching them, uh, them, I mean, the people behind this, they're starting to have big problems because it isn't working out so well. They, they did not plan for when they were doing their scenario planning, they didn't do a lot of what if the, if the people get restless or what if they won't get the vaccines or what happens if somebody files a lawsuit? They were so full of themselves and had so much hubris. They just counted on everything going well. Big mistake. And we're going to capitalize on that. That, that is exactly right. And it, it may lead us into another show at some point as we are looking at our time running out tonight as it's gone so fast. But one of the things that, that, that is, is in the mix that you just described is that they forgot that the soul that God created in us yearns to connect with our creator, connect with other humans, and yearns to be free. And that is the soul and that's the fire, the creative inspiration of our founders, and that is really what has always made this country unique. And we are lighting the brush fires of freedom in all of these efforts that you're doing, that those of us physicians out there teaching and speaking and explaining to patients how you can take charge. You don't have 
have to be a, a pawn of your insurance company. There are things you can do. And it, it's we're beginning to light the brush fires of freedom. And I like to think of that as our model because it's that fire in us that makes us unique, makes humans unique. And that's what's leading to the same uprising around the world with people marching and protesting against all these restrictions. That's part of the soul of the human being that's different from the soul of animals. Right. And I think the next step in some of these uprisings is going to be massive um, disobedience, uh, civil <laughs> disobedience. And I think at some point in time, people will say, There's, I don't have to close my business. I don't have to stay home. And, and I mean, one person staying home or one person, I'm sorry, venturing from home is a problem. But if a million people in Germany walk out of their house tomorrow and refuse to stay locked up, what are they going to do? They, right. I mean, they'd be completely overwhelmed. And if they try to lock us down again, I don't see them getting away with it, actually, uh, because I think that too many people see what's happening. But, you know, they can't deal with most people not complying. There's just no mechanism in place. And by the way, even in World War II, Hitler could not have dealt with massive non-compliance either. It was the compliance of people that allowed him to do what he did. So I think we and should take some lessons from that. We need to talk about another time because that that is really significant. You're exactly right. And we've come to the end of our time tonight. Pam, I really thank you for being here. And I want to encourage our listeners to go to your website www.makeamericansfreeagain.com. Join the movement. Let's get real. Let's get loud and let's get involved on America out loud. Thank you for being with us today on Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America signing off for tonight. Visit me on our website, www.truthforhealth.org and get involved at your local level and let's make Americans free again.